Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Keeping Shop. Today, I will be sharing my chat with underwear expert Lisa Mullen, founder of Uwilla Warrior in Boston. Uwilla Warrior is an underwear company built around providing people with the most comfortable, most wearable underwear they possibly can. We sell Uwilla Warrior. They're a Boston-based company, like I said, and we've worked with Lisa and her team since early on in the brand's existence. We've done pop-ups at each other's spaces, and we continue to give each other advice and feedback. Lisa is a business person that I personally really admire. I remember that I visited their new brick and mortar shop slash workspace in Boston and I sat with her and her team and we chatted about business for a while. And every time the conversation sort of veered off track, Lisa was there to gently and nicely bring it back. She always brought it back to the business and growing the business. And this really made an impression on me. And Lisa has no idea how much it actually did make an impression on me. But her ability to be warm and truly welcoming of ideas and thoughts, but to always be focused on how what we were talking about applied to our businesses was really inspirational to me. And I struggle with keeping my team and myself really on track in meetings. So I looked at Lisa's style of running her meeting and I found a lot of inspiration and really and truly it's something that I've brought back home to Winks and I try to implement in meetings with my team. But anyway, back to the conversation you'll be hearing very shortly. I have to say that this particular chat was one that I was a little nervous about. And it's not because I was nervous at all about Lisa, but it was because I was really exhausted on this particular day and it was a push for me to record. And of course, the conversation just flowed and went where it was going to and it was really great. Lisa shares what brought her to the underwear business, how she found and keeps such an incredible staff, and when I say incredible, I mean incredible. Lisa's staff is so lovely and so hardworking. And she and I talk about leadership and we talk about supply chains and we talk about how We can figure how hard it is, really, to figure out how to make money while holding true to our values. Lisa also mentions the long game a couple of times in this conversation, and doesn't that feel so important right now? I am recording this a couple of weeks before it's releasing, so I am hoping that when you hear these words, we are at a better place. But right now, as I'm recording this, my store is still shut down, and we're totally in a space where the long game is all we can really focus on. Systemizing and organizing and just really getting creative with connecting to our customers to let them know that we are in this for the long haul and that they can trust us to work hard for them. Playing the long game well doesn't mean you're always successful. It means that you're committed past today, past next week, past next year to the business in whatever way you need to be to come out on top. And I hope that doesn't sound trite, but it's something that I'm really, really finding a lot of solace in. When Meredith and I opened 40 Winks, we had really bad years and we had really good years. And then we had really bad years that followed those really good years. We've gone up and down and it's never been as hard as it is right now, but it is something that we've had to commit to. We have not been able to just give up. We have a focus on the long game and we are going to be 10 years next month. This is not how I envision spending this anniversary, (laughs) but I believe in 40 Winks and I am so committed to this business and I hope all of you are committed to your businesses too. Anyway, let's get to the actual conversation. Here's my chat with Lisa Mullen of Uwilla Warrior. (laughs) 
Lisa, thank you so much for joining me on Keeping Shop tonight. I'm excited to hear your story. It's a little different than a lot of the other people that I have interviewed for the show because you are the owner of You Will a Warrior, which is a product line. It is an underwear line, beautiful line that we carry at 40 Winks, but you also recently opened a brick and mortar. So I want to hear all about the story, how the line started, why you started it, and then what led you to to kind of this brick and mortar life. So yeah, I guess take it away. Wow, that's a lot. But <laughs> I, I mean, I want you to... <laughs> <laughs> to start, I have to thank you for not only having us on the podcast, which we love, but or me on the podcast. <laughs> but a lot of the beginnings of You a Little Warrior came from finding great partners and mentors. And you and Meredith at 40 Winks were incredibly helpful. I mean, I don't know if you recall, but when we first came to you all with our line, I think we had six pairs of underwear. <laughs> it was small. <laughs> you gave us it was very small, and you graciously carried a little bit of our line and gave us feedback. And we've a lot of our designs and production since then has come from your feedback, and it's yeah. really taken off and gotten traction. And I think it's because you guys really are experts and people look up to you, no doubt. So thank you for that. Thank you, Lisa. Uh, so I guess to jump in with the story, I think first and foremost, everyone should know that I never had the ambition to be an entrepreneur. I never had any <laughs> desire to be in the intimate space. My background was really in finance and financial services, and we'll probably get into this, but I was kind of, after my third birth, uh, the third child I had, third birth, <laughs> my third child, I basically was pushed out of where I was working and yeah. financial services, I was working with the square, like a working mom in the space. And yeah. I think hopefully that changes a lot in the future, but it really forced me to rethink how I was viewed in my personal brand in the space and yeah. what I was going to do and how to really take my skill set and to set off in another direction. So this is a long way of getting to to launching an underwear company, but I had an opportunity to help HubSpot, which is a marketing company Mm -hmm. in the software space to, through their IPO, which was a place where I could bring my skill set from financial services, where I'd worked for 15 years as a portfolio manager in technology stocks Mm -hmm. to help them through their, uh, their, their transition from a private company to a public company. And it just, the whole experience blew my mind because I realized I'd never had a good boss until then. Mm. I never worked at a place with a great culture until then. I never had had to build anything until then where I had to build the whole investor relations platform and to, to really bring this company along to embrace this platform and the fact that there were these other public investors involved. It was a whole different world for them. And to sit in the middle and actually build something and have it work was awesome. Yeah. So just bookmark all of that because that's really the train I'd been on yeah. my whole career. And in the background, in my personal life, I like to shop. I enjoyed nice things. I enjoyed mm. comfortable things. Yeah. And along my path, I'd found this underwear made by Mary Green, Mm -hmm. and she made this incredibly, incredibly comfortable silk underwear. And I became addicted to it because it it just didn't ride up. It was like super comfortable. 
And so I had this ritual every January. I'd go onto her archaic website. It was so or bad. Or I'd go to this <laughs> store in Nantucket. It was so bad. She had these like mannequins that she'd take pictures I remember. <laughs> I'd buy the crap out of her underwear. It was always between Christmas and New Year's because yeah. things were slow. And I'd be like, I need to get new underwear. Yeah. And a year later, they would all be run and have holes in yeah. them because I wore them so much. And anyhow, I went on one year in 2015 and it was like, oh, Mary Green is, is yeah. shutting down. And I went into an absolute panic Yeah. because I thought I am so screwed. Like, where am I going to get comfortable underwear? I have no idea where else to go. And so I I actually sat down and had a coffee with Mary Green to try to learn about her business, wow. and it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> and then when that didn't go anywhere, you got to bookmark this, because in my life, my roommate from when I lived in New York City and my roommate from when I went to college, this awesome woman, Natalia Martorell, Mm. who worked 20 years at Marc Jacobs. And then she's now the SVP of merchandising at Parenza Scholar. I mean, she worked in like big time wow, fashion. Yeah, yeah. And is one of my close friends. And we never sat down and said, hey, let's build a business together. <laughs> Not once. Yeah, no. We've had a lot of late nights together. It's never come up. I called her and I said, ring, ring, and Natalia, there's this underwear I really like <laughs> and I want to make it, but I want to make it better by putting the seams on the side. I want to upgrade the silk. Can you help me? She goes, heck yeah. I know a group of women from Mark Jacobs who all they do are help people launch new products. Amazing. So off we went and we started making really great silk underwear and then seamless underwear as well. Amazing. I, d- I didn't realize that it was born of the Mary Green obsession because I think we've talked about this. Like we used to carry Mary Green at the store and people were obsessed with it. And then suddenly it was gone and it was this huge hole. And you're so smart (laughs) to have seen that. And I mean, maybe you wouldn't have if you hadn't been such a devotee of the line, but it's like, it's definitely a hole that people were very sad to see open up because it they were so comfortable and I will say though Lisa I think yours are are better they are a little higher and they are like a, they're a little more comfortable I like I like yours better thank you I mean I think there were some things that still frustrated us about them sure. that the silk quality would run a lot I mean yeah. I don't want to disparage them because they were such oh, a step a above line. what yeah. else was yeah. out there mm-hmm. but it could be better and we also There was another component to this, which is really a big deal. And that was, and this is key because Natalia and myself were both working moms. We, something in our head had clicked that all this sex sells stuff that we were pushed on by Victoria's Secret Mm -hmm. for so many years. It was like, why am I doing this? I'm getting nicked every day by this really uncomfortable stuff. being told to wear this, I'm wearing it. It's not looking great on my changing body and it's really uncomfortable. And I, it's just like, I'm getting nicked every moment in time. And so how do we make really comfortable functional underwear that fits a lot of different body types? Mm -hmm. And how do we do this in a way that takes all the best attributes from where we could find really comfort and great qualities and upgrade it? So making the rise higher so that, you know, making the fit 
more generous. So as you move, the underwear recovers back to where it's supposed to go. Mm -hmm. Putting the seams on the side, having all the tags rip out. I mean, it's like finally women who have been through it are like, here you go. This is our best effort of making, you know, unicorn underwear for you. So just check it off your list of worries. Absolutely. What did you do when you were doing like product testing? Did you have lots of different women trying them or what was that like? Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, we definitely had in the beginning, it was hard to have a lot of different body types and sizes to try the product. But we did do wear tests from sizes small to large, which seems limited at this point. Yeah, but But we always had we had the vision that once we nailed the product around those sizes, we would expand it down to extra small. Now we do extra, extra small all the way up to 4X. So we didn't just scale that up. It was like a step one, step two. So step Mm -hmm. one was let's get sizes small through large, right? Yes. And we did a lot of wear tests and feedback. We've moved through multiple factories where Different factories have an ability to create better product than others, and we figured that out. I'm yeah. sure we're into that. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. Once we locked that in, the second big bulge of capital went to grow the line, not by introducing different underwear styles or soft bras out of the gate, but to take it by actually scaling up to size 4X, but by using entirely different fit models, which was a very expensive, but the right thing to do because women don't just expand proportionally. They, your body grows differently as you are at different points of, of weight. Yeah, for sure. And then it's the same thing with bras. Like you can't, you know, people uh, sometimes Meredith and I pick the bras that are going to work for sizes. Like we don't bring bras in that are too deep for in a B cup. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't or or like too flimsy in a G cup. Like you have bodies are different and they require different things and it is important. I think it is very disingenuous to just assume that you can just make something bigger and it'll work. And I think it's insulting. <laughs> so I think that it's really smart to have invested that time and that money and the energy in doing different fit models because not everyone does that and it definitely reflects and it it doesn't build trust I think for a brand yeah I mean we definitely have the long game yeah in mind yeah I do I want to talk a little bit about finding factories I think there's a lot of people that listen that do have product are creating products and they might I don't think there's anyone creating underwear. Maybe there are, but most of the time, I, I, it's like some there's some clothing brands and a lot of homeware. What would you say that process was like finding a good factory and going through a few factories till until you found the right one? Yeah, that was both easy and crazy hard. Yeah, and I know that's a weird answer, but. Because of my co-founder, Natalia, working so many years in fashion, we had the ability to link up with this group called Angora Group, mm-hmm. which is these, the group of women early from Mark Jacob. Oh, right. Okay. Who had a whole network of factory relationships to get yeah. the product launched. 
And so, but with that came the institutional knowledge that Angora had that, all right, look, you're not going to be able to really dynamically create a new and interesting product out of the gates in Asia. Like the Italians are the most creative. The Italians are the most artistic Mm -hmm. in terms of development. So let's start in Italy and just see where it goes. Because you don't want to create something that everyone else has out there from the get-go. That's not helpful. So we started in Italy, and everything took longer and was really expensive, and there were a lot of delays and personal drama. (laughs) (laughs) We came out of Italy with a really great product, but it was so expensive that it was gross margin negative. Yeah. And so here we were with a really great product we were proud of that we finally had, you know, crossed the goal line with that we felt really was ready to be presented to the public. Mm-hmm. But it, we every shipment was more cost than the revenue where we priced the product would ever would ever, yeah. you know, make. So we were we were kind of in trouble yeah. from the beginning. And yeah. You should say, well, why don't you raise prices and charge $60 a pair for underwear? And when we go back to our core tenets of Viola Warrior and why we created it, we keep going back to this. We want to make super comfortable, functional underwear for every woman of every shape. And we want to make it affordable that every woman can buy a pair. So, all right, we've got to be priced in the range of like hanky panky or commando it's not like a six-pack from target so maybe that's not every woman but it's a much more reachable than if it had been 60 or 80 dollar underwear yeah and we said okay now how do we take this and 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 get it to a price point that we actually can survive and be a viable business so we started to look at sri lanka Mm -hmm. and china and people People love Sri Lanka because it's somehow, you know, it's this feel-good, more socially socially acceptable place yeah. to produce than yeah. China. Right. But in today's time, I think China's come a long way. Yeah. We've been to the factories in Sri Lanka and in China, and they they're about equivalent in terms of the quality of life they're offering their employees. Yeah. And frankly, Sri Lanka was an unmitigated disaster. It was horrible. And it, yeah. this is a big, reputable firm that a yeah. lot of companies tout as this very ethical place to produce with. Yeah. They, If I told you what they shipped to us, it was like Ugh. glued together, like underwear, very sloppily done. They didn't send any size larges, so we can't really sell to wholesale partners no. anything that was produced out of Sri Lanka. It was a disaster. And the Chinese partner did a great job. And if anything, our silks were better coming out of yeah. China because the silk came from China in the first place and right. they knew how to work with the fabric. Yeah. So we had a very positive experience in China. Yeah. It's enabled us to come out with a better quality product that, you know, is at a price point to us that we actually can create a viable business around and yeah. have a price point to the end consumer that's within reach. I mean, I will say at this point in our venture, our losses are narrowing, but we're not we're not profitable yet. So, but we're you know at least see a path to get there. Yeah. So it's not like we are raking it in. <laughs> yeah. Know? And the goal the goal here is not to 
have this be the next away travel or Warby Parker. <laughs> we're not, we're, yeah. we're all, this is a bootstrap business. Anything that's been invested in this company has been my own money. Yeah. And we're, we haven't taken any outside capital. Yeah. And a lot of that is because we really, really want to focus on making really good underwear that's within, you know, an affordable price yeah. for, for people and for women. And, you know, I think that sometimes these outward stories can look much more glamorous or different than they really, uh, yeah. Yeah. the truth, you know the validity of what's going on inside is. So, you know, a great example, did you know that Tom Shoes recently had a restructure? I don't know if no, I they didn't. filed chapter 11 or seven. I don't know which one, but they, you know, Tom Shoes, like they took off because of this whole value yeah. of I buy a pair of shoes and someone in need gets, need gets a pair of shoes. And I, granted, I don't know the details of why they failed, but maybe they shouldn't have you know, maybe they should have donated less or maybe they should have had a higher price. Like it would have been better if Tom's shoes found a way to be around for 20 to 40 years rather than a shorter period of time where it was a cheaper pair of shoes. You know, it's all about the longevity of something uh, and the long game. Yeah. That's a good, that's a really, that's a good point. Yeah. That's a great point. I want to kind of bring it back to your decision to open a studio in a brick and mortar space. When did you start thinking that that might be something that you wanted to pursue? Oh, it was such a scary choice. (laughs) So a little background. I ran the business part-time while I was at HubSpot for a while and then finally went full-time when it was impossible to do that and have three kids and run an underwear business (laughs) by myself, (laughs) you know, with Natalia's help, who was also working full-time. Yeah. So, Lo and behold, you know, I went full time, hired two great employees. Um, Amberly also came over from HubSpot, which yeah. Amberly Wright, she's awesome. Yeah, she's wonderful. So here the two of us are working together out of my house with my three kids and my two cats and <laughs> this absolute chaos. Yeah, chaos. And Amberly would call, Can I come over to work right now? And I was like, This is ridiculous. Like we've got to get out of here. There were heat presses and guest rooms. There was inventory stored in what were supposed to be toy chests on our, on our playroom floor. I took over the entire house with this business and (laughs) it was so unfair to our family and unfair to Amberly and now Madeline, who also works with us. It kind of came to a crisis rather than we should move out. Yeah. It was like, it had to happen. (laughs) It had to happen. And so then when putting the business hat on, it was like, okay, I need it to be near Beacon Hill where I live because I'm juggling all this stuff and I've got to keep juggling. Okay. If I pay for office space around here, it's really crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. If I pay for a like dungeony shed somewhere, that's not going to be viable. So when a little space became open on Charles Street that had a retail component in the front and an office in the back, it was like, this is it. You either yeah. do this or you're not going to be able to, yeah. to make this happen in Beacon Hill because the retail space in front can generate revenue. Granted, it may not be all the revenue to cover our rent because we're just selling our line out of the front. Yeah. But who knows? It's going to offset something. Yes. And that net revenue is a lot better than paying for studio space or office space where you get no 
branding out front, no ability to interact with customers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so scary. We thought it would be so disruptive because we largely sell wholesale and, you know, direct to consumer. Yeah. But we did not want to be a bricks and brick and mortar place because that seemed like it might be distracting. Mm-hmm. But it, it was, we went for it. We have a one year lease with the option to renew for like three if it works. Yeah. So that was the way we protected ourselves. So it was mm-hmm. like one year, if you hate it, just get out. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's been a home run so far. When did you move in there? Uh, we moved year? in around mid-September last oh, year. Okay, okay. Right. Yeah. So right before the holidays. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. I couldn't. Rem- I couldn't remember. It seems like you've been there forever, but really, it's. I don't know. I don't have. A, I have such a warped sense of time. I'm like, oh, it's been a year, but like I remember it was like right before the holidays. I think it's so smart to do it because. It's not only a way for you to have like, you know, your marketing and like, you know, a presence on the street and to be able to talk to customers who happen to come in and to explain your line and to interface with your like consumer face to face. But it's like such a beautiful spot. It's so inspirational in terms of like working in the back. The office is great. It's like such a I can imagine working there as opposed to like working with your three kids around and like the chaos is very i th- i can imagine that it's very productive or inspiring or inspired to be in a space like that and i think it's if you can get that sort of space that sort of half retail half office space it's like it's kind of a no brainer for a business like yours yeah no i totally agree in hindsight it was a home run it was it's fascinating to look at the uncertainty of pulling the trigger and having this fixed rent expense. Mm. Was that like the biggest thing that was kind of holding you back? Was that fixed expense that you didn't have before? Yeah, that and also weighing who do I have to be in this place? Do we as a team have to start staffing this in a more regular way? Like what is, how disruptive is this going to be? And what if we really have, business to get down the back and people, you know, it's chaos in there, but it hasn't worked out like that at all. And what we, what we've done is in, um, September through the end of December, we shifted our, well, there's only three of us who work for you will warrior, three women. And then Natalia is still a co-founder, but she works full-time at Perenza, yeah. but still is very engaged on the product development. But anyhow, like Madeline, who is our third employee uh, who joined us from Simmons College, she, after graduating last year, she shifted so she would work Tuesday through Saturday. Mm-hmm. And Amberly and I work Monday through Friday. And through At the end of December, we all just work Monday through Friday. We're not open on the weekends. Yep. And we're still generating a decent amount of revenue through the foot traffic. Yeah. Uh, we just have to be very clear what we are and what our hours yeah. are. And yeah. that May, we'll go back to Monday through Saturday. I think it's so smart because – and I think what people – you know, when you were expressing, like, what you were afraid of, like, I, that is, like, a narrative that I – that Meredith and I play out in our heads constantly. Like, well, what – if we do this, then this is going to happen, and we're afraid of this happening. And it's so – like, we have been really actively trying to be, like – that might never happen. It might work out perfectly. Like, why are we so afraid to make the leaps into these things that, yeah, maybe it would 
totally. Honestly, though, if you were so busy that there was chaos in the front of your store all the time, that would also be a great thing. Because you'd be making tons of money and you would just hire someone to work in the front of the store all the time. So it's like, I think that like there's always hesitation around a leap when it's worth it, right? Or not even hesitation, but like true fear about what's going to happen in a lot of scenarios playing out in your mind. And then it happens and it's like, oh, that actually worked out really well. And it's also a reminder that those fears are valid, but you can always like switch things up in a way that allows you to run the business that you want to run and to make the boundary. You know, like you're saying, like, we just have boundaries, like we're very clear with our hours. Like, that's a very easy answer to like maintaining the chaos that could that could happen, you know, and there are ways to always to grow and run and exist in the business that works best for you. Like you said, you had to be on Beacon Hill because that's where you live and that's where your kids are. Like you made it work for you. You know, it's like there we have options. Like we are not just at the whim of whatever kind of like comes our way. We can sort of like do what works for us, if that makes sense. Yeah, and totally. And I, I think that if everything that I've worried about going wrong never <laughs> happens, it's always the stuff from left field that I either underestimated or I thought I didn't even know was of trouble is what's walloped us. So it's almost like a negative correlation between like certain, you know, wholesale partners picking up the products like this is going to fail and it's a home run. Yeah. Yeah. It's like almost the opposite. So I kind of take counter bets now to my gut (laughs) on anything. Anything we do. It's so true. Well, I think it's a I think it's a great move and I mean not that what I think matters, but I think like I just as a consumer and as someone who has a brick and mortar, I can I can really relate to the fear of like it trying to of being afraid that your whole life is going to change because of like distraction, because distraction in our business is very, very real. So that fear would also like, I mean, that I think that's a valid fear. But like, I, I hope you get so chaotic in the front of the store that you have to hire someone because then you would certainly be paying for rent on that mm-hmm. space with just that part, that part of the the business. Right. No, and we are. It's it's surpassed our expectations. So That's it's, so it's great. Yeah. Great. That's great. I do want to talk a little bit about um your staff because they we recently did a pop-up with you folks and um it was so great because your staff was just so lovely and they're so on top of their game and a small company and you work so closely together and I just would love to hear a little bit about what makes your team work so smoothly. Oh, you're so nice to say that. I feel really fortunate mm. that, you know, we've hired two really good women. And I'd like to believe that, like, we had a crystal ball when we hired that. We're, oh, I'm just really good at picking good people. That's <laughs> not true. Yeah. I think it's really hard to gauge who's going to be good and who's not through the interview process. Yeah. But if you can find someone who is almost an unbridled spirit mm. and don't 
chain them up in too many policies and rules and kind of let them let them go it's and empower them with responsibilities and i so cliche but like i learned a lot of this at hubspot because i certainly yeah. did not have any good management <laughs> like yeah. tutorage in, yeah. in financial services it was like a void of, of, of anyone <laughs> yeah well you said you like never had so, a good boss <laughs> Never. No, it was ridiculous. So I've paid a lot of attention at HubSpot where there were a lot of really good managers and the culture is a big deal. And basically everything is run by using, you know, the whole motto is just just use good judgment, Mm -hmm. like empower people Mm -hmm. to say whatever they think, even if it's uncomfortable for me to hear, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to get caught like a politician who is really wealthy, who <laughs> has been kowtowed to their whole life, yeah. you know, they can't even, they don't even know what the honest feedback is. Like you, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. you know, if you yourself are humble and, and empower people, and even if they screw it up, like, yeah, you know, all right, let's look at what happened and what the next play is and, you know, move on. So I, you know, it's a lot about finding good people who are open to working in that kind of environment you know, we don't have a vacation policy. We yeah. It's like, use your good judgment. Just yeah. make sure you convey what when you're going to be gone and to make sure it works for the team and what we've got on deck. And yeah. that's great. You know, and, and there are times when the business requires all of us there and all hands on deck and other times when it doesn't. So we try to encourage people to, yeah. you know, really take off and to work elsewhere when it doesn't. But, I, you know, other than that, it's just really empowering people to – like the two women who work for us are so creative and have so much to bring to the table and so many great ideas mm-hmm. that are beyond my capabilities. I really respect what yeah. they they bring to the to the whole formula of what we're creating. And they're very different than me in so many ways. And that's really important. Yeah. I think maybe it's not good that we're all women, but for once it, the gender is going in the other way and yeah. we'll, we'll tackle the diversity when we're a lot larger. <laughs> I, I always, I'm like, eh, I would, I mean, well, this is like, some people really like get on me about this, but we at 40 Winks, like we are an all female team, right? Like breasts are, I'm, I probably wouldn't hire a cisgendered man, but like I, I kind of think like all female teams are diversity, right? Like I kind of am just like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I would like to definitely have more options for, I would like to build a diverse team in ways that don't include um, bringing in like white men. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that that's aspirational and something we can relate to, but if you looked at the com- composition of executive teams yeah. for public companies and boards out there, like, we're not the one to point the finger at yet. No, hell no. No, I'm, like, saying that. I feel we're probably like all more, female like, teams we'll work are on like, it. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I'm, like, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. good with being uh, all female. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think, yeah, for now. Um, I think your team is amazing. And I love what you said about letting people just sort of be themselves and realizing that everyone, like... I, we struggle with that as bosses at Meredith and I do. I, I think actually like some of our management struggles with it even more than we do with just like letting people be sort of 
their own sort of person. And because those people relate to customers differently than another staff member might, but that still brings in a staff member or a customer that is like connecting with that person. So it's like, you know, I mean, I get diversity. We were just talking about diversity, but in a different way, like it's the diversity of personality, right? That like makes a team so attract, you know, so good to the clients, like so attractive is not the right word, but like we bring in a lot of different types of customers, right? And that's because we have the diversity of personality on our team. And sometimes, you know, people's personalities clash and that becomes problematic. But I don't think that it's because we should try to have one type of person, you know, and I love what you said about just letting people be themselves and say what they want to say and, you know, use good judgment. Obviously, you're not going to tell a customer that they look terrible or that they can go to hell or whatever. But like being able to have like open dialogue with you as the leader and with the rest of the, the team is is very important. And I think that you only achieve that kind of trust between you and your staff by allowing them to not have to change too much to work for you, essentially. Yeah. And also as a manager or someone in charge, like sometimes you make a hire and then as you get into it, the job description of what you gave them you're like, okay, 50% of what was on your list, you're, yeah. you're really good at, but yeah. you have this 30% that totally surprised me yeah. that I had no idea you were going to get good at. And the other 30%, I actually should probably take back. And it, just my example is like, I mean, this is so nerdy, but given my background, like anything spreadsheet related, yeah. I'm just so much faster. Yeah. And it's not exciting work, but originally I was like, okay, Amberly, you're head of growth. Like here's a lot of the spreadsheet work that goes along with making sure inventory numbers are correct for the sales platforms that we're on. And I was like, first of all, she's like a maniac on sales and just chasing things. I was like, just go forget about the spreadsheet stuff. It takes me 15% of the time to do, and it's unglamorous, but I can hammer it out so fast. Like, Mm -hmm. what are we doing? Like, give me it, you know, I'll take it back. That's so smart. So it's just, it's, you just don't know when you make that higher, what the total package is, but then understanding, even if someone has a strength that's beyond what you had expected to just ride it. Yeah. This, this is, this is the horse you are like, go. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's actually very helpful to hear that right now, just in my own as like my team is evolving yet again. And it's I think it's really heartening to sort of it's a good reminder, I think, when you're hiring or promoting or putting people into new like a, a new position at the store or wherever at your business that like people are unique and it's it takes a good manager and a good leader to be able to like bring out their strengths and and I love what you said about taking back the spreadsheets because I think a lot of people within the entrepreneurial space say like this is like and I say this too <laughs> like this is below my pay grade right like I can't do this but sometimes it is so much easier for me to just do something because I can 
do it in my sleep rather than making someone else muddle through something that there isn't part of their, you know, core genius, you know, like they, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. And I think it is almost like an ego thing to be like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like you're doing that. And it's like, well, does that actually make the business like a more, like a, a better business or do I need to identify strengths, weaknesses, things that you can do in your sleep and divide up the tasks that way rather than like this like kind of like pay grade sort of mentality. Yeah, there's a just to take a step back, like running your own business has a lot of humbling jobs that you do. So (laughs) the whole attitude of being like, I'm above this. Uh (laughs) No, I I just I throw out the trash every night. I usually put it in my own trash bin at home. I mean, it's like (laughs) <laughs> I drive all the U-Haul trucks when we yeah. do pop-ups places. I don't want anyone else to do it. I mean, there's a lot of unglamorous stuff lot, that yeah. you do. And mm-hmm. so dividing and conquering, there's a lot yeah. of unglamorous stuff your employees have to do and some more glamorous. So yeah. it's I'll, I'll tell a random story. But when I w- worked at HubSpot, the CEO, this guy, Brian Halligan, who I really like, sat me down early on and he said, your writing skills are, are not where I want them to be. I want you to take a writing class. And I'm sitting here thinking like, I'm not a writer. Yeah. And my writing skills are fine. They're not, I'm not, I, I have no desire to be a writer right. to take right. this to a skill level that's beyond like business writing. Right. And so what do you do? It was like, I'm not that horse. And I think I explained to him, I was like, look, I can try to take a writing class, but I'm not really interested in becoming a better writer. (laughs) And instead, I will find a way to partner with this woman, Beth Dunn, who is the head of copy at HubSpot. All she does is write. She's the voice. I was like, well, I'll just have Beth Dunn go over and rewrite (laughs) everything I write. So it's in a format you like. Because I'm not going to spend time on this at my level. And wait till you see what I am good at. Yeah. And you're going to love it. Yeah. And he, I think we, we turned a corner because yeah. he wanted me to have a skill that was something I was not even interested in developing, yeah. but I knew how to find someone to help me get that Do piece that. of my work to where it should be. Yeah. Um, and I was able to really shine in areas where I am strong and yeah. different. And I'm like, I'm a zebra and you want an antelope. We're both fast, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's where we overlap, but <laughs> let me show you my stripes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love that. But Brian and I have a great, great relationship. And I think, he, you know, he really came full circle um, for well, sure in appreciating what I do. And what a great well, lesson for him. And what a great lesson for you as you as you stepped into leadership, you know, of your own company like to remember that like people are antelopes, people are zebras, and it doesn't mean that they're not fast, you know? Like it's a great I mean, and I'm gonna actually never forget that, Lisa. <laughs> Using that analogy. I mean, you all the can't time. I it like with this whole growth mindset yeah. that we all talk about. I mean, I could have learned to become a better writer. I could have taken those classes, but just because he said that was a deficit, there's like yeah. a decision tree. Yeah, that's good for you to have for me, but Mm -hmm. I'm not certain I want that for myself. So the growth, you know, it wasn't like I was resistant to becoming a better writer. 
it was just not a skill I really cared about developing. Well, we can't all be good at everything. I mean, like, seriously, like, some people are naturally talented at everything, or they seem to be. But, like, I'm not going to invest tons of time and effort and money into something that I'm not interested in pursuing. Like, I'm not going to be like, I'm going to learn Photoshop and I'm going to be the best Photoshop person on the planet when I don't have time to learn Photoshop. I don't have an outlet that was actually going, that's, that's going to really demand that kind of skill because other people do that for me. Like, it doesn't make sense for everyone to be like getting really, really good at everything. It's just not, it's not like, like efficient. <laughs> no, but I think it's important to know that you can, if you want to. Absolutely. Like anything is, and being open to that. Yeah. But also the next step is drawing the line. Like yeah. you said, like, I don't have an interest in that. Yeah. So it's, you know, people want to talk about the growth mindset of, yes, you can do that. Yes, it's all your attitude. And I, I totally agree. Yeah. But the desire from within has to be there to match it, to really make it yeah, really happen. Absolutely. So I asked these two questions of everyone. Um, your first question is a tiny bit different. But what would you say to someone who is thinking of taking their product that they've created into a more brick and mortar space? their own brick and mortar, not just selling to other brick and mortars, but starting their own brick and mortar. Yeah, I think researching the space, the a great location with foot traffic Yeah, before you even have your location there, because you don't want to have to be launching a product and drawing traffic to a space. If a, mm. if a, if a location naturally has traffic, it's a lot easier to insert your product into the traffic and to get feedback. And then secondly, if there's any other, you know, overhead you can offset, for example, for us in office, Yes, that was a home run yeah. because it definitely made the expense, it was an offset to the expense right out of the gates. Yeah. And then thirdly, researching the neighborhood, mm -hmm. every landlord has different ways of operating and there's yeah. good landlords and bad landlords and then there's bad landlords who are cheap mm. and that's actually a good thing in some places yeah, yeah and then there's so good landlords who are expensive and you're like great you're a good landlord and nice and ethical but you're just too expensive for my business <laughs> yeah, so yeah. i think understand if you find a cheap landlord who's good great that's <laughs> yeah. amazing i think you guys might have that yeah we i do. <laughs> i have a guy my guy is a little dicier, but like <laughs> I know him. I used to rent from him when I, you know, before I got married 10 years ago. I know what the deal is. And yeah. it's been, it's been really good because yeah. I went in eyes wide open. Yeah. So true. It's been no surprises. Yeah. <laughs> it's been good. Yeah. Fabulous. I think it like knowing your neighborhood and knowing what's going on in the neighborhood and what's going on with the landlords and the other tenants and all of that. It's like the more you know, the better off you're going to be because that is su that can be such a make or break sort of situation. Yeah. Maybe if it was a new neighborhood, I would like camp out in the corner or like get a yeah. VRBO for 
like a month and just yeah. watch to make I sure always I tell people what was that happening. people that are like, how do I start a business? I don't even know what I like where I want to open. I'm like, well, you that is a huge part of figuring it out. Like go to a neighborhood, spend a weekend there, spend a week there, watch people like watch their behaviors. Are they carrying shop? I mean, it's just like you've got to like really try to make yourself as like you got to get real familiar with a neighborhood, I think. And we, Meredith and I were lucky we opened in a neighborhood that we had worked in for two and a half years. You live on Beacon Hill. Like it's, it helps. It It was a huge advantage. It helps. Huge advantage. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Totally. And then the last question I ask is, do you have any words of encouragement for your fellow business owners, both in in the product world and the online space and in the brick and mortar space? Yeah, I think that, you know, when things change and this whole shift from bricks and mortar to online, it's never as clear cut as like the early indications like point, right? Yeah. So with change comes opportunity. Yeah. And it's it's waiting to see that fat pitch, like that opportunity. They're like, I'm so frustrated. I'm going to bring something something to the world that hasn't been brought yeah. before that's when you've got the fat pitch. And so, you know, make sure, I guess you, when you do come to market with a product, that it's a product that you're like, yes, it's finally going to scratch that itch that no one else is serving or onto something. So change as uncomfortable and as, as much negative news that impressed there is, is always comes with opportunity. Mm -hmm. Then when we started our business at you warrior, we weren't thinking, we were just frustrated with the lack of underwear choices and we had this great brand go away and we were panicked. We couldn't find another choice. It was that simple, but it was reflective of something bigger happening. And what was happening that was bigger was Victoria's Secret was going from 60% market share to Mm -hmm. 30 because people were fed up with uncomfortable products that were sexy. They wanted functional pieces. And you know what me and Natalia, our co-founder and, a lot of other women were individually looking for was really a part of a broader movement. So if you see something that is small, there could be this bigger movement happening and just to to understand you're on to something. And yeah. if you don't act early, if you wait yeah. to go late, you're going to miss it. Yeah. So true. Lisa, thank you. And I've enjoyed talking to you. I always enjoy talking to you. And I really appreciate all of the advice you've given us over the years. And what have, we've known you for three years now, two years. I think a little more. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. great. And we've been a while. We appreciate your friendship, and I'm glad to have been able to talk to you tonight. Thank you. Well, thank you. We totally agree. So that's the show, everyone. A huge thank you to Jay for sharing her story with us. And of course, to you all for listening and for being a part of this community. I will say that if you want to reach out and vent or encourage or just get everything out, please do. You can reach out to me via email or DM. I am here. I will say also that I don't feel like I have as much time I think it's just because I like can't anything get anything done because I'm working from home and I have Sylvie around me all the time. But if you write to me, I will eventually respond. I promise. I am so hopeful for our spaces and our shops. And I truly believe that we will rise together 
stronger than where we were when we went into this whole mess. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Okay.